Hello and welcome to Gom Jabber with the Muadweebs. I'm your preeminent host, Dr. Reverend Mother Lily Moyam Banana Helen Guyam Brislin, joining you from my post alongside the soon to be dethroned Padishai Emperor. Um, and speaking of soon to be dethroned, let me introduce you to my co host, Alec. No, shit, I forgot to tell what the podcast is. Welcome to Gom Jabber with the Moa Dweebs, a Doom podcast, both thorough and flippant. We were working our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, Dune, one chapter at a time, but tonight is the last chapter. My name is Alec Boyle. I am the Baron Vladimir to blame Harkonnen of this <laughs> podcast. I'm joined as always by my co-hosts Josh Stevens and Lily Brislin, as well as returning special guest and person who understands the world generally better than the rest of us, Andrew Mabry. Lily, why don't you go ahead and uh, launch in first? What up, nerds? It's your Reverend Mother here, keeper of the water of life, bringer of the Hattersnacks, uh, abider of no bullshit, and um, second curmudgeon, as I learned in one of our last episodes. I can't claim that crown. Uh, glad to be here. Take it away, Josh. I'm Josh Stevens, uh, a former Lvov Group on fame. I am our fearless troubadour, the Gurney Halleck of this Motley crew. Uh, now more Fremen than not, as you will see in this <laughs> chapter. And Andrew. And I am Andrew Mabry, uh, Stilgar, back in the hood, one of the OG <laughs> followers of the Maudweebs. But uh, I'm excited for the ultimate chapter here let's let's see what old frank's got cooking tonight can i start by well, making fun of alec <laughs> please wait no, by no, no, first, okay fine make fun of me first <laughs> then we need to talk about the worst ending line in the history of <laughs> you want to you want to start with the end i do i see the now josh <laughs> the end is the end is a delicate time um yeah, I want to make fun of you because you love making fun of my sitch, and I want to make fun of your Moa dweebs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I chose this episode to do, but I felt like I was running. I mean, you might very well be. The name of the podcast could change at any second now, actually. So, <laughs> but we'll good. always be the Moa dweebs. I mean, are we going to do the quote and the rundown before we talk about the last line? All right. <laughs> So boring. All right, Lily, read us a quote. Glad to. Uh... <clears throat> we clear the desert dust. Oh, I really thought that you were doing like a like a RGB cackle. <laughs> what was that? Something was so funny. Last <laughs> chapter. He was warrior and mystic, ogre and saint, the fox and the innocent, chivalrous. Ruthless, less than a god, more than a man. There is no meaning Muad'Dib's motives. There is no measuring Muad'Dib's motives by ordinary standards. In the moment of his triumph, he saw the death prepared for him, yet he accepted the treachery. Can you say he did this out of a sense of justice? Whose justice, then? Remember, we speak now of the Muad'Dib who ordered battle drums made from his enemies' skins, the Muad'Dib who denied the conventions of his ducal past 
with a wave of the hand, saying merely, I am the Quitset Hatterack. That is the reason enough. From Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Yerlan. <sighs> I mean, after almost 600 pages of Muad'Dib, it's hard, it's hard to get worked up about him anymore. You're just like, well, here he is again. I feel like he was more Kwisat Hatterack than he is, like, then than he is now. I feel like now he's just kind of a dick. I'm just taken aback by when does the drums out of the skin of his enemies come in? That is quite shocking. Um, and we've heard of no drum music to this day from the Fremen, have we? No, no. The, the Fremen have propaganda? not mentioned drums. I mean, this, this is written in the future, so that that might be happening. This is in, a new practice. Yeah. He's, he's this, like, you know what, let's spice things show? up. We've got the Balisset, we've got the Sappho Bats, I'm thinking human skin drums. Yeah, make that happen. I, I think it's just Arulan being pissed off at all the shit that happens to her and uh, throwing a little a little shade. Oh, or trying to hype him yeah, up. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, she's both positive and negative in this statement. True. Yeah, I feel like, I don't feel like she necessarily objects to the skin of the enemy drums. Yeah, yeah I don't think she cares <laughs> about that, but I, it's... Fair. I would I would say this is the most I, honest Irulan is about how she feels about Mondrian. <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay, but we get some spoilers here. I think this chapter is trying to set us up for wanting to read at least two more books after this because she Less says less than a god, more than a man. Yeah, yeah. I no, cringe. That's... I cringe that <laughs> every time. Why? I don't know. It just feels so gross and not like doesn't really tell the whole story. Well, I would argue, right, I trust me, I'm going to really lay into Frank at some point this episode, but mm-hmm. that is Frank laying seeds for the next couple books that he's trying to get. That's what I'm sure. saying. He's trying to set it up. So it's like, we're, it's teasing us. Um, there's a death prepared for him. It involves treachery. And we're like, oh, he's going to die by treachery. We got we to gotta wait and see. Right, I mean, he says he accepts the treachery, which he, which we clearly see him do, right? And, but um, I just mm. oh oh yes, you kind of do. It was a death. One, you see him. You him. see him accept it actually in two different places. Um. All right, all right. This is content. This is content. Yeah. Should I just do the re- should I do the rundown real quick? Yeah, do us a rundown because we we don't seem to have any self control here. All right. <laughs> Paul returns to Arakeen, the spot where it all started. As his men search for some sneaker snapes, uh, <laughs> Gurney prefers that they just go to a nice, safe cave. Uh, messenger sent to tell Chani her son's dead. I gotta tell you, that's cold. Uh, <laughs> the Emperor is on lockdown in his ship. Paul thumbs up thumbs ups a new Amazon original movie, The Hunt for Dead Harkonnens. Uh, Paul urges Gurney to give a fitting quote for the occasion. It goes something like, Our victory is spoiled, as it's a bummer your kid is dead. Uh, Paul's a dick to, the, to a Sardaukar and drops his Fremen names to become the Duke Duke again. Uh, Johnny and Mom arrive. Jessica chills in the weirding room, has lots of memories and feelings, and is especially sad about rain. Paul's a dick about how he knows everything. Jessica tells him not to deep splain all the shit she taught him. Uh, Alia is murdering the wounded. Chani gives water to the dead. The Emperor and his entourage are escorted in. Paul makes a lot of threats. Paul is scared of Fenring. 
Bufer <laughs> is sent to assassinate Paul, who tells him, do it, uh, but stays loyal and then croaks. The Emperor is outraged and accuses of war crimes. Paul clarifies the technicality. Paul's a dick to the guild, and they object but relent knowing he's not bluffing. Paul decides he must marry Irulan so he can rule and give his enemies a tiny win in the process. Paul consoles Chani that it's just politics. Gurney wants to kill a Harkonnen. Harkonnen wants to kill Paul. Paul kills a Harkonnen. Fenring refuses to obey the, the Emperor's order to kill Paul. Paul makes demands, gets what he wants. Irulan throws some shade at herself on behalf of Jessica and Chani. Worst ending line in the history of literature. There you go. <laughs> Josh, you've really found your calling in these rundowns. I I don't know if I've shared that my anti-superpower is I'm incapable of summarizing things, and this may be your superpower. <laughs> you really you. hit your stride. They've been pretty fun. And it makes me actually do the do the reading and pay attention. I now have to do it like while we're in the middle of the episode, so that happens. <laughs> We've all been on such a journey over this time together, this book. <laughs> some of us have evolved others like me have slowly degraded into a cackling crone in a hood you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> hey 2020 bitch <laughs> so can we go back to the uh him accepting his uh his treachery oh, I, I think i think Alex wants to address the ending no no, no we'll address the ending well, okay, of the okay. ending Oh. I've, I've reasonable cooled my jets. <laughs> he got it out twice, so I feel like he's he's teased it. Well, and now, much like the quote, I have set up something that the audience needs to uh, go for at the end. Oh, mm. schemes within schemes within schemes, Alec. Job of me. Treachery within treachery. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he in the in the part where he gets scared of Fenring. He wonders if he's seeing the man in the flesh for the first time who might be the one who kills him. Uh-huh. And he goes, eh, okay. And then he sees Thufer, knows Thufer sent to kill him, says, go ahead, if you gotta kill me, kill me. And he seems pretty willing to take it. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, Thufer doesn't do it, but there's no indication that Paul wouldn't have let him. Sure. Uh, and then, just kind of, we get to the end again, and now this is... Actually, this goes back to that line way, way, way back where we find out that Fenring refused one of uh, it does the Emperor's orders, which is, I, this is one of my favorite moments, actually, maybe in the whole book, uh, where it goes back to uh, that very question of when was the time that in their friendship he showed he was a friend by not listening to the Emperor, and that was in The Treachery to Kill Paul, in that final moment. Uh, but either way, Paul didn't know that's how it was. True. I think what is kind of, and then I'll let Andrew say something because he clearly has something to say, but what's kind of interesting there is if you think out what that means, I think it basically, it ties into that part where Paul says, oh, this Fenring guy is an almost satirist, right? And so on some level, Fenring can tell, oh, if I kill this Paul guy, everything goes way worse for everybody. But does Paul know that? If Paul doesn't know that, then no, well, he's still potentially accepting. Oh, I thought you were saying that. But, but that's not what. Trip. My argument about that, I'll get to yeah. after Andrew makes it. So I, I was going to say, Andrew, one, go I, I mean, I didn't want to spoil it earlier with the Fenring quote, but to me, Paul has <laughs> always been the one that Fenring has refused to kill that is in service to the Emperor. Although, I question Fenring's motives because I see him more as an ally of the BGs. Because he's a he's a product of their system, just not the one they're looking for. But he's always been sympathetic towards them. 
and willing to help kind of meet their standards, but at the same time... Gather seed? Yeah. Uh, at the same time... <laughs> he's, uh... I gotta bring back that creepy seed. <laughs> he's a seed yeah. chauffeur. <laughs> he, he, you can call him a botanist if you want to. A noted plant organist. Yeah. <laughs> Where's James? James, weigh in on this, man. Oh my god. Um, But I mean, yeah, he definitely recognizes if I kill Paul, this thing goes off the rails and the whole galaxy dies. So, my point about the quote is I don't think that this quote refers to the events of this chapter. Oh. That's what I was thinking. No. Although it does a good job of like making you get to the end and think, oh no, it is. Sorry, I see the now. (laughs) <laughs> that's all i'm seeing it's all you're gonna see it fits the events of this chapter but i do not think it is describing all yeah. right there's some cool stuff at the beginning of the chapter that mm, you always are cool. jumping right over you're jumping right over the cool stuff oh let's I'll, get to I'll cool get one, stuff I'll get one more thing with the quote about him yeah. you can't one more thing at the start I, of the I episode have to. Andrew? Oh, yes he can about, about yes he can <laughs> go ahead <Desert> about, Daddy. <laughs> about paul being more than a man but less than a god he has what is traditionally a godly power of omniscience. He knows everything that's going on at all times, and he sees all versions mm-hmm. of it. But mm-hmm. he's also mortal. Extremely mortal. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's not a god by any standard. But there's lots of people in this world that have powers that would make them more than a normal human that doesn't. You've got the Bene Gesserit, you've got the Guild, you've got Paul, you've got Alia. Like... Why is Paul so fucking special? He's I got, got something some pretty it. serious powers, but he's also really bad at using them. They're so powerful, they, like, scramble his brain. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to support Andrew on this one. So on Ultimate Dune Compendium, page 603, he starts oh, talking wow. about... Um, anyway, this is the places where he can and can't see where there's a block. And there's this question of... Have I? It's an uh, italicies, so uh, italic. So I'm not sure what this means. But have I been denied a glimpse of this man because he is the one who kills me? Paul wondered. And what I'm asking is, who does the denying? What is the agency like? What what is the mechanism that directs and controls Paul's prescience? And that choice of denial is interesting because it implies like agency or will or some decisive force, which we haven't heard referred to previously like there hasn't been a deity there hasn't been an ultimate power i think this is just one of those things when paul doesn't know shit he just makes it up i don't think there's any reason to think that that's actually what happened here he doesn't know the fuck's going on well he doesn't know something and he comes up with a reason for it like this is nothing so this this is the original (laughs) seed for the golden path and and that's and that's something that I won't go into detail on you. You've got to read at least through book four to understand what the heck it is. Um, oh God! But that's a lot. I'm not sure if this is something that Frank actually planned out, or if this is something that Frank later no used as like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mm. retro this. I'm gonna retcon this and make this important." Maybe. So, Andrew, I think Frank at least had. Like, he might not have defined it fully yeah. yet, but he had those ideas now. And the reason I think that um, is because in the, I think it's the last chapter, there's some moment where something happens and then Paul says uh, he felt a presence wring its hands and cackle within him. Oh, yeah. And 
that is clearly a foreshadowing of a plot line that would happen to a different character in yep. the later books, right? Yep. But so he's at least thought of all this stuff, even if he hasn't uh, polished it yet. Okay. Well, yeah. Th- this is this is the first breadcrumb down a very long trail. Yeah. Oh lord. All right. Well, maybe this is tempting me to read further. Although I'm, I don't know. So yeah, if, if this is our gum jabber, <laughs> this is our gum jabber equivalent of. Sure, we're finishing up this book in the next few episodes, but keep reading with us. I'm intrigued enough. Okay. This is more like a pain box than a gum jabber. (laughs) Maybe that's the next series, season How long can we keep our hand in that oven? Okay. So, other things that happen. Um, There's some great insights where the starter card, he calls the starter card. They get back to the house. He's like, go find the sneaker snapes. Um, Don't don't touch anything. Just be sure... um, the hardcore people are toys remade, right? But he's like, how do you how do you investigate everything thoroughly and don't touch anything? Which definitely feels like a mom move or like a like a grandma auntie move. Like, yeah, oh, go in there, don't touch anything, but it better be spotless. But don't don't touch my stuff. Yeah, and then you see when the gurney's like, I've checked them all. They have no throwing weapons, and you're like, they always have more throwing weapons. They just throw them out. They, the they've thing. got a false tooth. There's sugar wire in their hair. Radio transmitters. We didn't chicken food for either. We didn't check through well, either, don't worry. <laughs> and then they bring the Sidecar in, and he's, um, Paul, this is a good Paul observation. He's like, oh, the, the Sidecar, like, don't know how to act. And they're like, um, and Paul's like, I got a ring. You got to do what I say. And they're like, he's, well, he's got a ring. I guess we got to <laughs> do what he does have a ring. Says. He's like, let me remind myself to tell the, <laughs> tell the, tell the Fremen the rings don't mean shit next right. time we lose. <laughs> but then, so Paul says, they've, they've never known anything but, victory which could be a weakness in itself and i thought that was interesting like you get a little you get a little ahead of yourself you don't know how to handle defeat well it's also him inventing a new way to be a dick to his friend right (laughs) he's like oh i gotta make sure my people taste defeat see i also think that this is him being wrong because all the starter car have done for years now is lose to the fremen what the fuck is he talking about He's talking about Vietnam, even though it hasn't happened yet when Frank wrote this, and Americans don't understand it yet. Is that his terrible purpose, either? <laughs> well, but, right, maybe that's part of, like, I mean, it's not like that was a new fact that was discovered, right? But, like, a lot of times if a martially focused culture loses a war, they just keep telling themselves they didn't lose. I mean... Hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, the Germans after World War One clearly lost, and it right. took a second one them to get the point yeah so it's not like his uh he's not being pressured here this is a thing that's known right i guess that was the other thing i was gonna say is like the 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 starter car have lost but that's probably not what they tell themselves right they're in their version of the story they've still never known anything but it's almost like the now that we're currently living through without having an actual president elect (laughs) Actually, as of like two hours ago, the federal government told Joe Biden he can start the transition. Yeah, uh, yeah transition really? has yep. begun. Yeah. To our listeners joining us in the future, you already have this information. <laughs> Maybe other craziness has transpired, but we are in the now, and it is good. That's great news. Um. Yeah. No, I I don't understand how anyone can believe that Sardar have never tasted defeat when they're getting killed by uh, old men, women, and babies. They're not telling anybody that though. Okay, next next issue. So Stilgar but this comes is all in. This is all in Paul's thought. This is all in Paul's thoughts. 
right? This is not about what the Fremen know or what the Sardaukar know. This is about what Paul knows. And Paul knows the Sardaukar have been getting their asses kicked and he's not acknowledging it. I don't understand. Gotta sit with that unknowing. All right. Yeah, Josh, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't really have an answer for you. You just have to be mad about it. I... <laughs> All right, so then he's like, get my mom! And then his mom and Shani come in, and they're like, oh, he's like, where's Shani, where's my mom? Oh, the Reverend Mother went up to the weirding room, and Paul, exp- they're like, we don't get it. And he's like, oh, she misses Rain more than me, I guess. And Stilgar's like, water from the sky? Water and and so then something interesting like there's some good interesting stuff in this chapter. Paul saw how Stilgar had been transformed from the Fremen to a creature of the Lisa Nalgaid, a receptacle mm-hmm. for awe and obedience. So he's watching his friends turn into worshippers, and he wonders later than when Gurney the same thing will happen to Gurney. And I really like that 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 was the most humanizing thing I mm. think that's happened that Paul's reflected on of like oh this was my this was my boy like this was my dude. And now he's my supplicant. That sucks. Well, this was my dad. Yeah. Uh, except, yeah. Guardian's going to have a little bit different reaction. Yes, thankfully. But Paul's worried about yeah. it. He's like, who's, who's going to be left, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, that's the sacrifice he makes by assuming by assuming messiahhood, the, by assuming the story of the Lisa Al-Gaib. That's the sacrifice Paul is making. So, so I may be in, overindulging in documentaries about cults during this uh, mid-pandemic <laughs> <laughs> moment. Uh, perhaps you've also watched them. But what I'm wondering about is, does Paul, do we have a clear sense of if Paul likes this or not? Or does he is he just accepting it? To what extent is he a classic cult leader where he's like, well, my colleagues will naturally turn to worshippers. Mm, he's not doing well, anything to sure. counteract it. No, for for sure. I think I think he's going he's going for it. I I don't think he has thought that far ahead. His how could he not? That's all he does, Andrew. Well, except everything that he has done, as far as demanding this audience with the emperor, everything he has done at this point, assuming the mantle of Mondeeb and assuming the mantle of the Fremen's Messiah, is all just to get back take revenge over his dead dad. So I don't think he's really thought hmm. about the long-term consequences other than that he knows that there's going to be a jihad following this. Well, I mean, you can't just be like, other than he's totally preoccupied with the jihad. Like, well, you can't just he, write that off. Does, we'll, but he we'll, does we'll, we'll, indicate we'll here at the end of this. A little bit. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he says he can avoid the jihad by marrying Irulan, right? That's... That's his plan to get what he wants and also avoid the jihad. So he says, um, going back to what you said about him taking Where does on he say the, that? When does he? Uh, well, pretty late. Yeah, that's that's really okay, late. That's, we can bring it up when we get to. Yeah. We can bring it up later. Yeah, let's, let's come back to the second half. Um, I want to go back to what you said about him taking on the mantle of Madib. To you know, what about the moment in this episode where in this chapter where he discards it? when talking to the Sardaukar and only refers to himself as the Duke Atreides. So annoying. He's like, oh, I'm the Duke now. Oh, I'm the Muad'Dib now. Oop, Dookie, DB, Dookie, DB, Dookie, is whatever he wants. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> any any thoughts on him kind of discarding his, his fremenness? Also, classic cult leadership where he's like, 
It's all right, baby. This is some David Koresh stuff. He's like, I got to take on these other wives for my higher purpose. <laughs> I still love you, baby. You're my number one. You're my first wife. But I got to bring on Irulan. You know, it's the divine will. I got to make it happen. You want the universe to survive, don't you? Just got to share. I'm I'm, I'm your Muad'Dib. I'm your Usul. I'm her Duke. That's how it works. Yep. <laughs> That's creepy as hell. Yep. 60s were a wild time. Yep. And then um, <laughs> back, back to the back to the back to the sadness about rain. Was she be, was she sad about missing rain or mourning like old rain or mourning the future rain that she doesn't think will be here on Arrakis? What was she mourning in terms of rains of no, Kalanen or rains of Arrakis? It doesn't say mourning. Uh, She's it longing. Say? It says longing. Sick with longing. It, oh, it's okay. the. It's the fact that she's never adapted to be a Fremen. She's just assumed that mantle to preserve Paul. She's 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 yeah. never going to be fully Fremen. I've been on your camp on this, Andrew. I think that she's like writing it out, but she's always she's always got one eye on the Imperial Prize. She's like, How do we get back in the fold? Yeah. But she's longing for a rack and reins. No, Caledani. No, she, yeah. no, she what are you talking about? She just goes to the longing for a planet she'll never see. Right, Caladan. You're saying is referring to Caladan? Yeah, she thinks she's never going to see Caladan yes. again. Oh, I see the point uh. Josh was making though, where she's like, she doesn't believe that the Dune will, have, the Arrakis will ever be trans. All right, this 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 yeah, well is dry. Yeah, this we That's have plumbed the depths of this well. Yeah, yeah I was just let's curious. talk about. Right. I want to talk about revenge. Cool. That's fun. Don't we all? <laughs> There's a lot of it this chapter. Um, I'm always surprised at how petty Paul is. For as evolved as he's supposed to be, for all the mach- you know, the like intricate machinations for the betterment or for the like ultimate good, he's trying to avoid evil, and he's like, totally. "No, I want some petty revenge." Yeah, it, more than a man, my ass. <laughs> you think because I'm what you made me, I cannot feel the need for revenge? And if I was his mother, I'd be like. Yes, I would hope that I made you not feel the need for revenge. Get your shit together, Paul. <laughs> Did I teach you nothing? And she says, even on the innocent. And he says, there are no innocent anymore. What the hell? What the hell, Paul? Tell that to Chani. Right. Tell that to Duke Leto II. I think that's the, the point. Like, the point is supposed to be that he is not in, like, that, like... Yeah. That well, they're the, doing a really the, good job of showing it. The ascension to power has corrupted and destroyed him, although... I don't know that our official stance as a podcast is that he was ever that like great. I mean, his his morality has always been viewed through either the Atreides lens or the Fremen lens, and none of those are exactly enlightened. Yeah, I mean, even even like what one of the one of the ones I don't get is he hates the Bene Gesserit, hates them. And attack and you know verbally attacks Gaius Mahalam or Gaius Mahayam later on. Yeah, but they've done nothing to him other than just other my than my mother has no Benny Jesseret yeah. friends. Why? That's good. He was saved because of his doctor loved <laughs> yeah. Benny Jesseret, and his his mother's mm-hmm. Benny Jesseret training kept him alive and valuable to the Fremen. And he's a Benny Jesseret, and like his sister is like this is very weird. Yeah. The, that's, this is... I think I've come to my final analysis on Paul. Mm-hmm. He is a petty fuckboy. That's what he <laughs> is. 
he's a dick. I, I love how when 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 Chani's like crying about their son, he's like, "Don't worry, I'll get you another." Uh, right? <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. Oh, it, it it's gonna get I mean, worse in the next book. He is eighteen. Like, it's not that implausible. Don't worry, babe. I'll uh, knock you up again. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So we don't. We're not loving Paul at the start of this, and we're realizing no. that he's stepping into a place of ascendance. Or I'm not loving Paul. Maybe y'all are. Love it. No, just love him. Yep. So the emperor comes in, and Paul does all the formalities. He proves that he's a he's the son of the duke. Duke, right? He's the dukiest duke, and he like reads the crowd, and he identifies Fenring. Fenring. So now mm-hmm. we can talk about Fenring some more if you want. Yeah. Um. It's really interesting. I didn't see this coming. I actually found it intriguing where he's like, oh, I've seen everyone, but I've not seen him. Why haven't I seen him? And he's trying to figure it out. And your thoughts were it's because, so he figures out that it's because he's a failed Quetzet Yeah. yeah. He's a failed Muad'Dib because he was a genetic eunuch. But what does that mean? It means he, genetic, for genetic reasons, he cannot have kids. That's all it means. I mean, I get that literal translation, but why... How do you become either you're the quits at Saturday are there so is it <clears throat> pardon that we're learning that there are multiple attempts at creating the quits at Saturday? They've been doing it forever. Yeah. I mean they, yeah, they I would think I so, thought yeah. that they were oh. well, uh, like I said This is their breeding program. Even at the at the very, very beginning when he's going through the test, he asks, you know, how many have tried? And guys says, you know, hundreds. And hundreds have died. You know, just the first stage of they testing, not 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 even the latter stages, which Fenring never gets oh. to. But maybe they never tested Fenring. Yeah, right? maybe they, you know, maybe their genetic standards like, hey, we need to quest that Tanner to reproduce. Right. Well, maybe they they knew he wasn't quite there, and they knew he had, couldn't have kids, but he was along a line that was going towards. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so he was he was a potential. So the other Quetzalcoatl. Potential satyrs try and die. Yep. And they die because they could deviate from the line. They could reproduce and create these defective offshoots from the Benny Gesserit plan. But Fenring, because he was born um, incapable of reproducing for whatever reason, he's mm-hmm. not a threat to the Benny Gesserit, but they recognize that he has a lot of great cap- capacities and capabilities, so they don't try and die him. This is my new theory. Well, we we don't know. That, yeah, we yeah, don't. Yeah, we don't theory. know if he ever Maybe. took the, the Gam Jabbar because that's just the first step of it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this he's, is my theory. I'm floating. This is my Dune Spiracy. All the rest they've gotten, they've dispatched with, but because he's a eunuch, maybe because of a no, a genetic eunuch, so not a terrible accident in his childhood, but. Yeah. Right. So, but here's the maybe thing. Maybe it was like, a terrible maybe... genetic accident. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it was. I think it was a yeah, terrible probably. genetic accident, actually. Well. And they they're probably like this guy is on the right path. He could he could be part of the equation of producing the Quisette Zadarak, but he can't reproduce, so he's no longer part of this equation where we can't you know breed him with a Bene Gesserit to create the actual thing. He's made might have been one generation, but he was a useful tool, so they kept him around. They married him to a Bene Gesserit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm saying I'm hoping he comes in. in... If we're reading future books, I'm hoping it comes in future books because I find that whole thing very interesting. Yeah, me too. I'm intrigued. 
Okay, so then they then he reads the guild. He's like, are those two fatties the guild people? Not appropriate, Paul. Like, we don't need to be talking about people in that way. Yeah. <clears throat> and then why, he talks is he, about why is he body shaming these why guys? Why is he body shaming? Like, yeah, what's the deal? Well, he is a desert person now, yep. right? So he thinks anybody who's had more than a glass of water a day is a fucking Shamu, right? He should be above that. That's all. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm surprised he didn't shame Johnny for having enough water to cry. <laughs> the whole theme of this chapter is Paul is not above anything. It's true. So then Paul ruminates on how the guild are parasites. They can't exist independently of the spice in Arrakis. And then here's the thing I'm hoping you dudes can explain to me. Because sometimes when it gets into this stuff, I'm like, I don't get it. Then you explain it to me. They had never dared grasp the sword. And they couldn't do it. They might have taken Arrakis. Mm-hmm. They could have, but they did Instead, they're existing from moment to moment, hoping the season which they swim might produce a new host when the old one died. What does that mean? So I think that this is Frank philosophizing probably mm-hmm. incorrectly, right? But this is... Um, the Right now, they are a parasite on the House Carino and the Empire as it exists now, right? And... No. He's saying that they were hoping that if something ever happened that brought about the end of House Carino, they would just be able to fold themselves into the new order afterwards. And he's saying, and the part where I think he's wrong is he's saying, oh, at some point they could have taken control of Dune, right? They could have become in charge of the known universe, Hmm. Uh, but it would have eventually destroyed them. And maybe that's true, right? Maybe all mm-hmm. right, all empires are destined to ride the wheel. Uh, but also, maybe it's just sort of uh, deterministic gobbledygook nonsense. But regardless, they didn't even try, right? They did not try to take Arrakis for their own needs and rule it. That is fist. correct. Yeah. They decided to go with control through financial means, right? And, and controlling the logistics. Yeah, so the guild... See, I, I see it a little bit differently um, because the guild is semi-prescient. They can see parts of the future. Um, but they can also determine that if they're the sole holders of the most valuable thing in the known universe, that will eternally make them a target, a military target, for other houses. You know, great houses, the Landstraw, the House Carino. So... yeah. In, Same reason the many Jesuit don't want full control yeah, of the in, universe. In their eyes, they they don't want to spill the blood. It's, <laughs> they just want to. They just want to reap. They'll they'll pay whatever anyone wants to pay for the spice because they know they will make it up by charging people whatever they need to charge to ship things interplanetary. The entire system works because they're huh. they're FedEx, not <laughs> not because yeah. they are you know Standard Oil. Um, it's almost as if correct. you sit on a super precious, indispensable resource. You can have other people fight your wars for you to protect mm. your resource base. Ah, yeah. sounds like a lot of gold. Um, as our military tactician, I wouldn't put it that way. Just as the, I mean, Fr- Frank's pretty realist as as far as how he views, um, how he views resource consumption and. That idea of, you know, whoever has the most steel wins, or whoever has the most coal, whoever has the most oil, and humans just keep bouncing between a certain resource takes primacy. 
And so he's saying, okay, the, the most valuable thing is spice. And for the foreseeable future, whoever owns that is going to be attacked constantly because everybody wants in on the spice. And the guild just says, we are going to deal with any of that nonsense. We're just going to make a buck off of everyone else trying to do that while providing a needed service. So that they're never the bad guy. A needed service that requires them to be fed as much spice as they want in order to actually perform their useful yep. service. Yeah, they they have a great gig. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. All right, so we see Fenring. We have this insight. Mm-hmm. What else happens? What's next? What else do we want to talk about here? Doofer, Doofer. Doofer shuffles into the yep. room. Yeah. Oh, Doofy. <laughs> A broken man. <laughs> you know, he's staggering in. Maybe yeah, he hasn't had uh, his poison dosage in a few days. Right, he, he hasn't, definitely had, has he hasn't, it, he hasn't had his antidote or his poison addiction fed. Yeah, I, I think it's really just like how it... Sh- I guess it's because of the effects of the poison, right? But it's like how it shambled forward as a Fremen lance was lifted and replaced behind him. The roomy eyes peered at Paul, measuring, seeking. And it's just like... Poor Thufer, how the higher brought low. Yeah. But I do love, like, he gets up there and he, like, he has, he makes peace with everybody. He's like, Lady Jessica, I was so wrong. Like, I humble myself before you in some variation of that. He's just, like, making right with everyone. Um... And then Paul was. And she's up. shade in the desert. She says nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she uh, she hasn't for forgotten uh, old Thufer. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about this. All right, and then Paul says, "My back's not towards the door." And then Thufer's like, uh, "You're not thirteen anymore. Start thinking about metaphorical doors, idiot." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah, I, and then this conversation Paul, was good. Yeah, it's good because Paul makes a big performance of like, "You could kill me," and he must know that he's not going to. And this gets back to the opening. Well, even before that, it's ha- good. Hang he on. says, "Am I my father's son?" Mm. So Thufir can't kill Paul because Paul has demonstrated the power to transform the water of life. One of the powers that that one of the things that that gives him. He now has yeah. the ability to transform any poison to a non-threatening... Oh, so he's not actually taking any risk by being like, go ahead and gom-jabber yeah. me, man. So you can't gom- you can't gom-jabber a Benny Jesuit at all, huh? Uh, once they've transformed the, the water of life, um, I mean, that, that's part of the things that Jessica talks about, is the ability to mm. break down, like, poison chains and disperse them in her body. That is handy. That's like that's like in Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Here's a world's collide for this episode since oh, we haven't nice. had one. That's like in Princess Bride where he slowly builds up his tolerance to the poison and so he could put it in both glasses and he's like, ah, I was in both glasses. I okay yes. powder. <laughs> <laughs> that was a like good that. world's collide. I enjoyed that. Thanks, guys. So here's the question though. Paul doesn't say you can poison me. Paul says you can have my life if you want it. Does that maybe imply that if Thufir had poisoned him, he'd have let the poison work? He might have. No. Or he was offering that? Or he would have let the poison into him and then been like, yeah, I didn't do shit. I'm okay. But if you want to kill me another way, go ahead. (laughs) Or do a Paul coma, hang out for three weeks, and then magically resurrect himself. Oh. Yeah, he just wants to go on another trip. He doesn't give a shit. (laughs) 
Um, but what about he says, am I like, am I my father's son? He says, more like your grandfather. So I'm like, so he's gonna get gored by a bull, <laughs> right? Yeah, comes up a couple times. Being like, you're kind of an idiot. Cooper's <laughs> kind of calling him a douche. You have yeah. his manner and the look of him in your eyes. What's amazing is that if he has his grandfather's manner, he's a then his grandfather was a way bigger dick than his dad. Yeah, I do think we know so. that? I believe it. I think we do know that because at some point Leto reflects on the elder duke and is like, I don't forget what he says, but he's like, man, that guy was kind of a dick. Oh, don't they talk about uh, earlier? And I think this revenge obsession plays into that, right? Where like Duke Leto, like who bullfights other than someone who's got some crazy adrenaline addiction death wish, and that's what Paul's doing with the Empire over and over again. Not all bulls are literal. Look for metaphorical <laughs> bulls, Paul. Is Paul going to get the horns? Yep. Yeah. So So then, the punchline is that old Thufer, we the parade of daddies has come to, over and over again, a very bittersweet, tender, tragic end. As we saw with, with UA, when, when Josh had the brilliant insight that UA is actually the most loyal, most loving character, a thousand deaths for UA, no. Dufer has stabbed himself. He has stabbed himself with, with the poison needle. And he collapses into Paul's arms and he lowers him gently. Thus end of the life. Mm-hmm. And then they move right the fuck on. Yep. It's like no pause. No pause. But, Paul's but like, all right. Like- flaccidity. I, I like how yeah, Paul, Paul's got more <laughs> shit to do. I like how the next line though is that like, and then the emperor's face showed fear for the first time in his entire mm. life. Mm-hmm. You didn't see that coming. Yeah, his his boy turns him down. His secret plant fails. Yeah, the the emperor's got some uh, some answering to do. They have their little spat about Paul's light war crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, Emperor, uh, I used it against a natural impediment, so, <laughs> joke's on you. No one gives a shit about your accusation. Yeah, does no one care about Fallout in this, uh, in this universe? Because I'm trying, I'm trying to think, like, how big... <laughs> it's magic atomic! How big of a detonation would you have to do to literally... To rearrange To the blow mountains? a hole yeah. through a mountain range. <laughs> A mountain range <laughs> thick enough to keep sandworms out of a populated area. <laughs> well, it's very much in the like the Starship Troopers era of mid-century science fiction, right? Yeah. Where they just kind of assumed everybody would just be nuking everything yeah. in the future. Great. Uh, mm-hmm. I think like the opening two chapters of that, where they're describing combat and Starship Troopers, love absolutely love. One of, <laughs> one of my favorite pieces of literature. Using... Using nuclear hand grenades against space elves, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe the point where we should end this episode on, because this chapter is rich and long, is the showdown with the guild over the he who controls the thing destroys it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will, uh, maybe you, Dweebs, can take it over, because I've been talking. I mean, it was that that interesting, because we've already had this exact conversation in Paul's head, or... With someone else yeah. around him, like three times in the last five chapters. I think he had to explain it to his mom. Well, I mean, that's Paul's pattern, right? He like thinks of a thing, then he explains it to people. They tell him he's not entirely correct, and then he does it anyway. Well, he tells <laughs> them 
the guild wouldn't do shit because they know I can destroy the spice. So that's why they ain't doing shit. Then they come down and he's like, see, told you they ain't going to do shit. And the guild shows up and the mom's like, oh, that's the guild. And he's like, they ain't going to do shit. And then he goes and talks to the guild and the guild want to do shit. And then he has to tell them, you already know, you can't do shit. And they're like, oh, <laughs> fuck. Well, right. it's, the, it's the dick measuring contest of Prussian's powers. But they already knew. Well, no, this no, didn't even they, have to they happen. Did. They could have been like, "Hey, we know you can't do shit," and then just <laughs> left. Like, bye. I was like, "We're gonna go spice the gold." Like, they, they came down. They're like, "You wouldn't do it because it would mean you would die." And Paul's like, showing around, like, "I just used Thomas to build this mountain range. I'm pretty sure I've demonstrated I have a questionable <laughs> mental capacity. I might just do this." And my kid is dead, and I give zero fucks. Exactly. Though. Yeah, I might do it just for spite, but they should have seen that. But the, but their prescience is limited. No, but and so Paul, yeah, no, Paul they can say tell them in... whatever he wants to, and they have to trust him. They all hmm. say in the throne room chapter and whatever, and in the last chapter of Paul's, right? Everybody says none of us can see past this confrontation in the throne. Hmm. Okay. Right, the guild doesn't know what Paul's gonna do. Paul he's doesn't know he's gonna card. survive. Uh, well, right, but like also there's this like black hole of Fenring there sucking he's all the He's a Benny Chesser now. <laughs> God, I, w- I wish I wish we knew his lineage because that could be a song right now. <laughs> My, I Me love too. that this whole thing with the guild hinges on when Paul pulls out a full epic world-ending ducal move and he says you know the guild is crippled he's like yeah i i get it i get that if i did this it'd be really awful the guild's crippled humans are like stranded on their planets they get isolated worlds collide recipe with gwen you know i might do this thing out of pure spite ellipses or out of ennui and that's when the guild i think (laughs) knows like oh because they reasoned through everything else. They're like, he won't do it because it'll fuck everything up. It'll make his life awful. And then they're like, or he's just a little bitch and he's just that shitty. Like, yep. he might do it just because he's in a ducal mood. Yeah, that the guild, yeah, the guild get eyes on him and they're like, um, not worth the risk. Yeah, he's they, Well, he's, no, and I think it's just they keep pushing him, right? Yeah. They have to mm-hmm. be like, hey, no, you're not going to do it. And he's like, oh, I'm going to do it. And then finally they're like, okay, we've closed off all the avenues we can see where he doesn't do this thing right he's definitely gonna do it but then we get into because he's that petty right yeah they're like oh yeah he is that 18 he would do it yeah but then we get into one of one of what i think is one of frank's strangest and wrongest metaphors in the entire book i agree alec my metaphor is like (laughs) what the fuck is this metaphor (laughs) The guild is like a village beside a river. They need the water, but can only dip out what they require. They cannot dam the river and control it because that focuses attention on what they take. It brings down eventual destruction. What, what the fuck what? are you talking about? Fakes like no sense. You can have all kinds of problems with dams. That's fine, right? I'm on board with that. But the thing, like watching a river because you dammed it doesn't kill you. What are you talking about? <laughs> I read it three Man. times. I'm like, okay, okay, just try to Maybe understand. He's on the wrong side of the dam, and he's in the reservoir. So fucking scrambled. 
Yeah. <laughs> He's got the heavy brain scramblies this this uh, this chapter. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, but that like that is a passage that's clearly straight from Frank's brain. <laughs> And makes no sense. Thank you sure you can steal half of it from uh, Grains of Paradise or whatever? Well, I didn't get to the chapter on hydrological engineering, but... <laughs> Sabres of Paradise. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I feel like that's a good place to end this episode on that terrible metaphor because our next episode will end with the worst closing line of all of written literature. Oh, man. Alec does do well, the well, then, I'm going to one more thing this. <laughs> okay, try it. What did you say? I said, try it. Oh, the one more thing. Oh, I was just going to say, there's this really, the really fun line about what uh, Ali is doing. I want to just say it. <laughs> okay. Oh, we did scoop over the Alia stuff, which is really good. Okay. Well, it's just, where is Alia? She asked. Out doing what any good Fremen child should be doing in such times, Paul said. She's killing enemy wounded and marking their <laughs> bodies for the water recovery teams. <laughs> like, and then, and then she yells, Paul! <laughs> yeah, which is a very, like, mom interaction moment, right? Yeah. That is a lovely moment. And so we like my about, eighteen year old like, son is such a dick. Why would you yeah. say that? Paul Paul, there are oh, people oh, here. Yeah. yeah, just even just yeah. to show even more how much she hasn't accepted the desert. <laughs> she's, she's Yeah, like, we learned that Alia can shoot her presence forward to leave oh, little breadcrumb messages for Paul in the future. Let's which, talk about that in the next one. Let's talk about it. Alright. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode, the penultimate book episode of Gom Jabber with the Muad Dweebs. We've been joined by our very special host, Andrew, and your regular dweebs, us guys. And uh, keep it nerdy. What? Orchards and vineyards and full-breasted ories and a cup overflowing for me. Why do I babble of battles and mountains? Mountains reduced to dust. Why do I feel these tears? Heaven stand open and scatter their ridges. My hands need but gather their wealth. Why do I think of an ambush and poison in molten cup? Why do I feel my ears? 
orchards and vineyards and full-breasted orries and a cup overflowing before me why do I babble of battles and mountains Mountains reduced to dust Why do I feel These tears Heaven stand open And scatter their riches need but gather their wealth why do I think of an ambush and poison in molten cup why do I feel my ears love's arms Begun with their naked delights and Eden's promise of ecstasy. Why do I remember the scars, dreams of old transgressions? Why do I sleep?